Well, Lord, thank you for the reminder of the words we've just sung, that Jesus, your name is uh, the only name. Your name is the highest name. Your name is a, is a beautiful and powerful and wonderful saving name. Thank you that we get the opportunity to come collectively like this to, to sing about the wonderful name of Jesus and reflect on what that means for each one of us, but also what that means for us collectively as well. As people who have said uh, yes to following you, being part of your kingdom, uh, we give you thanks and praise that you've invited us to be part of that. Um, we pray this in your wonderful saving name. Amen. Fantastic. Well, thanks, uh, Ash and the team. Appreciate you guys. I particularly appreciate it when I get to sit down there and be led by you guys. So thank you for, for what you're doing. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Luke. I'm part of the staff team here, and it's great to be able to gather together like this. Hopefully, I get the chance to have a conversation with you if I don't know you yet and get to meet you. Um, I don't make any promises in remembering names. I feel like I've reached my limit. Anybody there? Each new name that goes in, another one drops out? Yeah, is that, I don't know, is it just like an after 40 thing? I, I, I don't know. But anyway, I still want to meet you though. Um, okay, so as DJ mentioned uh, earlier, and thanks DJ for um, taking us through that a great time before and, and leading that um, so well and all the different content we've already been able to um, wrestle with and think through. Uh, again, that book, oh, it just stirs me, Rich. Well done in putting that together, the content. I know the, the graphics as well. I really just uh, wanted to say thank you. So why don't we just show our appreciation to, to Richard. And he actually asked me to do that because um, it's right in line with his character. Uh, so we're in the middle of this uh, series called So Loved and really what we've been doing is uh, like been this great journey as a church of, of looking at how God's love is this common theme uh, weaving right through the biblical story and we you know started right back uh, thanks again John for uh, kicking that off in the looking at God's love being outworked through creation that we've seen theme after theme and then finally we get to you know last week DJ spoke uh, where God in the person of Jesus came to us actually came to us reached across the divide uh, in John chapter 1, it was, it was the Word becoming flesh and making His dwelling among us. And today, really, I just want to come to the point in the story of God's love that was really the, the absolute pinnacle or the climax of Jesus' mission on the earth. This is looking at um, the events of His death and His resurrection. Now, I might do this in a little bit of a different way than you might expect, but I'm really thankful that even now, uh, already we've been singing so much about this. So, so much of the content about the message of the cross has come through uh, different aspects of today. But when you think about it, nothing speaks of love more than the cross of Christ. The one who lays down their life on behalf of another. Jesus giving his life in order that others might find life an incredible demonstration of love is the greatest demonstration of God's love now to look into this a little bit further I want to carry on from where DJ was last week when he was in um, John chapter 1 and even further on in that chapter of John chapter 1 uh, we get introduced uh, in his gospel anyway to John the Baptist Jesus cousin and he makes this wild statement now this is from verse 29 I think I've got this on the next slide where John the Baptist he sees Jesus and he makes this declaration. Look, or behold, the lamb 
of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this was a wild statement. This was a, a, like a, almost the culmination of a lot of prophetic teachings and, and claims about the coming king, about the coming Messiah. And John, just like front and center, is almost saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this was the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and John was acknowledging straight up that this Jesus of Nazareth was the saviour of the world. He was to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, the Lamb of God. Now, unfortunately, this wasn't a simple case of simply declaring, therefore, to anyone and everyone, chill out, guys, the day is saved. The Messiah is here. Quickly, just run around, herald it as far and wide as you can. The Saviour has come. Everything is going to be sweet for the nation of Israel. Uh, I, I reckon there's been uh, much of my journey as a Newcastle Knight supporter waiting for that very person to come. As the Messiah, as the King, um, I thought it might have been Ponga. Man, I was wrong. I, anyway, I won't even go there. The things I want to say about Pinga Ponga. Um, anyway, oh, did I say that? <laughs> so this was true for Israel. That just like the Knights need a completely new approach. Israel, as a nation, needed a completely new approach, and Jesus was ushering this in. But this was no easy concept for them to grasp. It's not even an easy concept for us to grasp in a lot of ways. They needed this new way of being free from their sin, their captivity, uh, a way of giving them victory over their enemies because they were in a tough spot, the nation of Israel at the time, and it had been going for, on for a long time. But it wasn't how they expected it to come. For Jesus, the launch of his public ministry and world-saving endeavours was in no way a simple task. The Jews were living under this harsh Roman rule. Uh, and even for Jesus, the word getting out in any small way that a king had come, that the Messiah was here, was incredibly dangerous for him. He had to be very strategic and measured in the way he got this news out and how he built his approach and his uh, movement that he was building on the earth. And it's why you'll even see, you know, if you read through uh, the gospel accounts, of the life of Jesus. You'll see time and time again where Jesus uh, does an amazing thing or performs a miracle. Quite often he'll say things like, okay, now don't say this to anybody, okay? And he's like, what? Why, why would he say that? But he knew if, like, if, if too much chaos was caused and too much word got out and um, people started saying, oh, is this the king that has come you know, to save Israel? That, that could very quickly squash the whole thing because Rome would do away with someone very quickly like that so Jesus was careful in how he was building this new movement this new kingdom this starting this new approach now if we go a little bit further in John uh, move over to John chapter 3 we have this really wonderful story this interaction between Jesus and a Jewish person a high up religious Jew in fact called Nicodemus and this happens under the cover of night. Um, we don't really know, but if we speculate or we use the, the TV series called The Chosen to you know, unpack some creative license there, Nicodemus was 
possibly very curious you know he'd seen some miracles take place and he'd heard a lot about Jesus teachings and his ways and he's like I need to know more but um but it's also under the cover of night maybe how some of us want to um explore more about matters of faith but we uh, we don't want that to be a public thing but anyway here we have this scene and Jesus is going about trying to explain how this whole saving work was going to happen this new movement uh, albeit in quite a cryptic way so I want us to read from John uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 which we'll have up here um Actually, I'm going to read from here because I don't even have it on my notes. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Uh, you can just see you know the the cogs ticking over for him surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born Um, should we just clarify that now is that is that possible any mums here Um, let's hope not Jesus answered very truly I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, as Jesus referring to himself, must be lifted up. It's referring to the cross here, but it wasn't a clear image for um, Nicodemus yet. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him now the very centerpiece of this whole series for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son now you can almost imagine poor Nicodemus in this scenario just scratching his head just trying to wrap his mind around some of the things that Jesus was saying you know, maybe in some ways going, this seems, this seems so exciting, this seems um, so possible, yet in so many other ways I've just got no idea what he's really on about. Now we have the benefit of living this side of the cross all, this, all these years later, of being able to look back and understand the bigger picture, but for Nicodemus this was not so easy. And in fact for all these Jewish people, they had a certain understanding about how God's plan of salvation would unfold. And Jesus in no way was lining up with their preconceived ideas. You see, the Jewish people, they were waiting for this powerful king, a leader who would come to really to overthrow Rome, to bring victory for Israel. They were living under that, that rule that was very oppressive, and uh, as they had done in, in exile for, for many generations. And they were waiting and longing to gain victory again, to be elevated 
And yet here's Jesus talking about a spiritual rebirth. They're talking about a spiritual kingdom. And the Son of Man being lifted up and that anyone who believes in him, like anyone who believes in him, will have eternal life. Like I know for us, we've heard all this before, but if you place yourself back in that setting, having this conversation, this would have been wild to try and wrap your head around. These concepts were so difficult to grasp, no doubt. So we can see how challenging this was by considering the slow uh, learning even of Jesus' disciples. These people that he brought in close to him and for years walked around with him, travelled with him, uh, ate with him, lived with him, uh, watched him, listened to him. You know, they saw miracle after miracle of Jesus trying to unfold things, you know, before their eyes to teach them about who he was, uh, about what he was here to do, about the nature of his kingdom, about what had to happen um, through his death as well. And it took them so long to get the picture, even when he was like really black and white and explicit in saying, look guys, okay, here it is in plain language. Here's how it's going to happen. They're like, huh? Can you say that again? You can see how difficult this was for them to understand that they're, you know, the, the one, the king, the Messiah who had come was actually headed towards a cross. This seemed crazy. I just want to do uh, just a very quick and small experiment uh, with you. If we just chuck up that next slide, thanks, Garth. Uh, can anybody tell me, do they know, uh, can you tell me what that is a picture of? Does anybody know? A any, any guesses? The sun? Um, no. Good guess, though. It's a great guess. Uh, if we go to the next one, Garth, let's just, let's just blow it out a little bit. Anything closer there? Oh, yeah, okay, I think there might be something of that there. But it's, it's really hard to see, isn't it, when you're that zoomed in and you haven't got the full picture. Uh, we'll just go to the next one. Thanks, mate. So here it is. That was just a zoomed-in part of this picture here. So, James, actually, you know what? I need to give you a credit. There was a bit of sunshine there. And there were some mountains there. But what it was was seeing, the, you know, just a portion of a cross. Now, the reason why I want to do that, has anybody, you know, seen those before? You know, sometimes you'd see those pictures where they'd show you a little zoomed-in part and you had to try and guess what the picture was. You know, that sort of fun game you can play. But sometimes I wonder, a little bit like the Jewish people, maybe they had too narrow a focus that hindered them from seeing the bigger picture, that hindered them from understanding what Jesus was coming to do in its entirety. Their focus was to see Israel as a nation be redeemed and victorious and yet what Jesus was coming to do was bring victory and freedom for the world it was much bigger than just Israel we see this in that wonderful verse we read before for God so loved it's not just you it's not just me it wasn't just Israel it said God so loved the world now, I wonder about us. I wonder about you and me. Do we sometimes have too narrow a view when it comes to the cross? Do we sometimes see Jesus as only the saviour of my sin? Is it possible that like the Jewish nation, we're happy to embrace our own version of a personal saviour? 
but fail to sometimes recognize that God's love displayed through Jesus is actually for all people. Now, the challenge with potentially having a narrow or self-focused view towards Jesus as a personal saviour is that the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, the example that he set for his followers uh, and how they should live in this new kingdom was actually a path of, get this ready, selfless service of others, of humility and grace. It was a path of sacrifice and servanthood. It was demonstrating um, God's heart to give and not get. It is being compelled by the love of God to demonstrate the love of God to those around us. It's an outward-looking kingdom, but yet sometimes we might get stuck with having too narrow a view. Even if we think, you know, that key verse that we looked at before that this whole series is based on, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That concept there, eternal life, I wonder what straight away springs to mind for you when you hear those words, eternal life. And perhaps this is another example of our view at times being a little bit too narrow. Because maybe again, this can sometimes just lead to us thinking oh yeah yeah eternal life that means because jesus died for me i get to go to heaven when i die it's like as long as i've got my ticket uh, then i am okay but again to zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture we can actually even see that this thing called eternal life is part of a a bigger work uh, and is actually a bigger concept than just something that happens after we die Uh, what i'm going to do is give you guys a a five-minute break from my voice because uh, we're going to watch a short video on this, this phrase, eternal life from the Bible Project, and then I come and wrap back up in a moment. Thanks, guys. If you know very much about the story of the Bible, you've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Mm-hmm. Sounds nice, but mm. what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life. But the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example? So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving in the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there could be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time if those ages happen to overlap. All right, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. 
This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal. That is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age, a life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. And instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right, taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life unto the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other, they do what's right in their own eyes. Things get really violent. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death, or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human, so that both ages overlap in him. He lives in the age of mortality and death and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life unto the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death. And those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. Okay, thanks Tim, Mackie and John Collins. It's great, isn't it, to be able to see things as a bigger picture. I'm going to refer to these guys in just a moment again and give you some homework um, for the week. Now I love that. I love the way that this pictures uh, or helps to paint a picture for us, sorry, of this like zoomed out uh, look at eternal life. But zoomed out look at just the message of the Bible from start to finish um, of how it, it all is working together. Seeing God's love at work through the person of Jesus. Now again, if we kind of zoom out when we think about the cross, 
we see this big picture of what the love of God was doing through Jesus. And we see many, many things going on that demonstrate this love. Sometimes we narrow it down to, you know, one aspect of it, but we have to get a bigger picture of it. Yes, it was to save people from their sin. Yes, the love of God through Jesus was to defeat the powers of darkness. Yes, it was to make a way for people to receive eternal life. Yes, it was to establish a new kingdom. Yes, it was to make us holy and righteous. And while there were many things being accomplished on the cross through Jesus' death, the big picture is that God was reconciling all things to himself. Uh, we see this in Colossians 1. Thanks, Garth, if you just put up that next um, short passage. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Again, touching what on DJ spoke on last week. The word became flesh. This is in, in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, when it comes to reconciliation, I don't know how um, your personality works. Uh, I've had this thing, um, for some reason, within me and my DNA, that right from a young age, I couldn't handle conflict. Is anybody else like that? You just you have to you have to try and fix conflict. Uh, so I was, I was the person at school. Uh, I had to use my words well because I wasn't big. I'm still not big. Uh, I'm bigger than I want to be, actually. But that's beside the point. <laughs> Uh, but at school, I wasn't big, but if I saw a fight, and I knew most people because I, you know, I used to talk, I used to get along with people well, uh, I'd be the one jumping in the middle of it uh, to keep the peace. Come on, guys, we can work this out without fists. Uh, I would like to break up fights. And, you know, this has always been something for me when I see a relational breakdown. I, I straight away think, how can I fix this? Uh, it's been funny for me in the journey of marriage. Man, it's taught me some stuff. Uh, and it's made me realise that not everyone's wired like me when it comes to this, because I'm sure I'm not the only one who has experienced some kind of conflict in marriage. Uh, just, just nod your head if you agree with me, okay, just to make me feel a little bit better. DJ and Lou, you guys don't have to nod. Um, but my early journey of um, being married to Monique, uh, when we had conflict, it's only happened once, but when we had our conflict, my initial reaction was, I cannot, I can hardly breathe until I sort this thing out. I have to reconcile this broken relationship. So I hunted Monique down and nothing was happening until I fixed it. And I can tell you right now, nothing was happening until Monique got enough space that she could forgive me <laughs> um, for whatever it was. You know? So we dealt with that in different ways. But regardless, we know what um, broken relationships feel like. We know that it requires someone to do some kind of reconciling act to bridge the gap. Uh, AJ and Fee, I don't know where you guys are again, but I know they've always said uh, when they've had conflict, it's always the bigger person, the more Christ-like person to apologise first. So there's a good tact you can take. Okay? It's more Christ-like to, to bridge the gap and apologise for be the bigger person and say sorry first. Um, but you know what? Israel as a nation had temporary fixes to the problem of a broken relationship through sacrifice and cleansing rituals that were set up. But they were never sufficient. They were never long-lasting. However, at just the right time, God reached out in the person of Jesus to do something significant. At just the right time, an act that would bring lasting healing and redemption and salvation and reconciliation 
for his people. What a loving God we have. That even while we were sinners, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we could do nothing to fix it, God, the one who was perfect in the relationship, reached out to us and said, out of my love, oh, I'm going to sort this. I'm going to cover this. The death of my son is going to pay for a price, but also the life of my son is going to usher in something new, so wonderful, so glorious. And he invites us to be part of it. You know, like that video portrayed before, do we do life on our own terms? Or do we recognise the invitation that's been given to each one of us to say yes to life, God's way? The Apostle Paul had a wonderful response to this, you know, who was an um, incredibly passionate follower of Jesus and who wrote so much of the New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians, thanks Garth, um, he puts it this way, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You think back to that story with Nicodemus. It happens through a spiritual rebirth. He's there saying, how is this possible? And Apostle Paul is explaining here, the old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The Apostle Paul, he got it, he understood it. And he understood that it wasn't just for him, but it was a message for all people, and he committed his life to living this out. So what about us? Where does that leave us today? You know, a couple of thousand years on. Living in a very different time, very different culture. Well, firstly, maybe you're here today um, and you don't even know Jesus yet as a personal saviour. And I know I said before, you know, we need to be careful about um, broadening our view that Jesus is not just our personal saviour, but a saviour for the whole world. But if you're in a place and you don't know Jesus as a personal saviour, that's exactly where you should start. You know, if you read through the gospel stories, you'll see time and time again that God, through the person of Jesus, stepped into situation after situation and met individuals right where they were at. He saw their need. He saw sometimes their heartache or their brokenness or their, their sin and their shame. And his love reached out to them and restored them and reconciled them. And if that's what you need today, there's good news. Jesus is still doing the same thing all over the planet. And he's inviting you to come to know him. Maybe even for some of us, though, we have known Jesus. But maybe we've gotten a bit sidetracked. Maybe we've gone back to maybe doing life our own way a little bit and we've lost sight of the bigger picture. Again, I encourage you to come back to knowing Jesus as your personal saviour. Maybe don't get so caught up in the doing, but you need to come back to the being, being in relationship with him. And like it was for the Apostle Paul, is out of that place of being, knowing the love of God, that it compels us to get about God's business. 
The good news is that God is still a very personal God who loves to meet people right where they're at. But he's also a big God who reaches to the far ends of the earth. Maybe today is an opportunity for you to simply consider how you can think bigger about this story of salvation and your role in it. A role that is focused on being part of the bigger spiritual family than just you. A role that links you to Jesus and his ongoing work of bringing heaven to earth, even right here and now. Um, I said before, I just want to mention the Bible Project again. If we can just put up this next slide, thanks. Uh, I'd love you to embrace a bit of homework this week uh, because they have a, a bunch of theme videos that I think are actually really helpful in allowing us to capture a, a, you know, a, a bigger view of the cross, a bigger view of salvation, a bigger view of eternal life and what God has called us to. So maybe every day this week, if you just you know, Google the Bible Project, you'll go into their theme videos, uh, just look them up. Most of them take about five minutes. Um, it, it's really simple to find, so if you, you're not super tech savvy, um, most people should be able to do this, but if you have any troubles, let me know. I'm not that tech savvy either. Uh, for you young guys, I don't know, five minutes a day, Chuck it in the middle of your TikTok scrolls or your Instagram feeds, whatever. Take five minutes to have a look into this bigger view of what God is about, what he's doing. Um, I might just get the, the musos to come back up. I'd love us just to finish with maybe just a shortened version of that song, um, Ash, singing about how God put his love on the line, how God reached out to us. But I want us to, as we come to finish, to consider the nature of this kingdom that Jesus established. You know, as he went to the cross and you know, defeated sin and death and, and the forces of darkness and, you know, through his resurrection, launching this new thing. A new method, a new way, a new concept of the kingdom, this spiritual rebirth, this new family. To consider our role in it, but also to be challenged to stretch our thinking, just like Nicodemus was, to not be too narrow-minded in our focus, to not just think, oh, this is just, just for me and my personal ticket to heaven when I die, but think, actually, no, I'm now part of something so much bigger and grander, that God wants to reach out to the world through me. Now, this is about loving God, and loving others. It's the kind of kingdom, I think, DJ, you said it well last week, where you said, we said, we worship, but also it leads us to witness to those around us. It's a life of sacrifice, bringing a sacrifice of praise to God, where, like in Romans 12, 1, it says, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But it's also a life of service of those around us. Be part of this countercultural kingdom movement that Jesus established 2,000 years ago that was so hard to grasp for the Jews and for Israel, but also might be so hard to grasp for us today in our culture because it is still just as countercultural as it was back then. It's a life where you're not trying to elevate yourself, you're actually bringing yourself down in order that others might be elevated. It's a life of humility and grace and sacrifice and love and mercy. Everything that is so contrary to maybe some of the things we hear in our world today. But let's say yes to being part of that kind of kingdom movement, hey?
saying yes to be part of God's plan, God's life, rather than trying to do it on our own terms. Hey, why don't we stand together? If you're happy to, I'm just going to lead a short prayer. Then we'll finish with this song as a response. Well, Lord, thank you that as we um, take this time today to look to the cross and see it as a symbol of incredible love. Remember, God, that this plan, that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son, it was for us. But it was also for everyone. You so loved the world so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have this life unto the age. A life that can be right here, right now. And God, thank you for inviting each one of us to be part of your kingdom adventure, your kingdom movement on the earth. It might be upside down to how maybe some of us have thought, but we say yes to it. We say yes to the way of humility and grace and service and sacrifice. They're focusing on others before ourselves. And Lord, we know first and foremost, this comes from our being reconciled to you, understanding your love for us and being compelled by that love to those around us. Come remind us, come refresh us, come inspire us to do our bit, being part of your wonderful plan on the earth. We pray in Jesus' name.